The text, written well, is still more engaging than video physiologically, even though people aren't aware of it. There's sort of a subliminal thing going on here. The reward circuit could be activating even though the people don't realize it. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Bill, welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks, Max. How's your uh, summer so far? It's great. Great. I can't complain. I actually started out skiing the volcanoes in Washington and Oregon, so that's not been too bad. Now it's time for the beach. Wait, wait, you're skiing on volcanoes? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's right. You know, as you remember, it's a big snow year out west, so western United States, and so you could still ski as long as you're willing to walk up. But you said volcanoes, so how does that work? Like just Yeah, well, the tallest peaks in the Northwest are all vol- either former or, I guess, if you count Mount St. Helens, they're all kind of active volcanoes if you look at the timeline over long enough. So yeah, yeah, there's a lot of snow on them. You can go out there and still ski them. Even today, you probably can. I'm in Toronto, and it's just been a lot of rain, but I think the snow season's done for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm in New Hampshire now. Yeah, it's definitely done here. <laughs> so Bill, really appreciate you coming on. One of the big advancements in AI is ChatGPT, and I think it came out earlier this year, and it disrupted a lot of industries. For me, I'm a resume writer, so it's definitely disrupted my sector. And then for you, you're in copywriting, so it's probably also disrupted your areas of expertise as well. So I really want to dive into the magnitude of AI, and that's more so of the doom and gloom, but how we can actually improve our value by using ChatGPT as an assistant compared to people thinking that it's going to be a replacement for our jobs, whether right. resume writer on my side or copywriter on your side. Right, right. Before we dive right. in, I know you did write a book about it as well, but we'll touch into that a bit later. How about you introduce yourself to my audience before we get started in the deeper discussion of AI and copywriting? Sure, sure. I've been a writer my whole life. In the last 20 years, I've primarily been writing books, both for my own byline and for others. I've done 15 books. The one that I just came out with, Writing for Impact, is my sixth. Done 10 for other people. Prior to that, I was a writer for the business press for magazines like Fast Company and CFO as in Chief Financial Officer. And prior to that, I was the editor of a company magazine. So writing has been my entire life and my passion now with my most recent book is explaining how science can help us all write better. You said you written and published 15 books. So you've had a long career in writing, publishing books to help people of your target audience. So does it get easier for each book you write? What's the process that you've (laughs) done in terms of writing these books? Yeah, yeah, it does get easier. The first one, I think, for anybody is a trial by fire. After I'd done about 10 of them, I actually wrote a book called Stairway to Earth, which was my process for getting a book written. It wasn't about writing per se, although one chapter was about writing, but it was really about how to get yourself organized to do something as large as a book. Because a book is, by virtue of scale, it's kind of like the difference between having a dinner party for two people versus 200. You know, it's a totally different project. So uh, yeah, it does get easier. I have my system for approaching it and in a stepwise way. And that's what I help other people do. And I still do that. I, my primary focus now is just coaching others and doing their books. 
Do you have a certain length that you want to write up to to ensure that the reader has enough value, or is it more about like how I'm going to help you get to A to B as fast as possible? Yeah, the length of the books today are, you know, it gets seems to get shorter every year. But for a standard, what they call trade book, which is a book that appears in bookstores, that's just sort of a, the lingo of the publishing industry. We're looking at forty or fifty thousand words. Used to be eighty to a hundred thousand words, but forty to fifty thousand today, which is yeah, which is plenty of words. It's still a lot to get organized. I think the shrinkage isn't reducing the information or the quality. What it's really doing is improving the quality. The game is going up. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're a copywriter or you're a journalist or you're an academic writing a paper. You've just got to write better now than you did twenty years ago, let alone a hundred years ago. So from book one to book 15, what are some learning lessons that you've obtained to improve your writing skills over time for someone who is looking to start a project for the first time, whether it's writing a book or starting an agency or trying to advance their career in a different field? Yeah, right. I mean, the biggest lesson for me, this is sort of my drumbeat, is get your thinking done before you do your writing. I'm not a fan of opening a blank screen and starting to write. I'm a fan of trying to get your ideas together and then writing. And the reason for that is quite simple. If you produce a first draft, and this isn't a large project, if you produce a first draft at 70%, let's, you know, that's a qualitative way of saying it, but 70% of the way you want to get there, you're going to get it to 100% by the time you finish your next couple of drafts. If you only get a 40 or 50% draft down, and I know a lot of people disagree with this, but if you only get a 40 or 50% draft down, it's hard to get to that 100% because you kind of get tangled up in the legacy wording that you first put down on the page. So what does that mean? When people really do want to jump to the screen, what I say is there's one technique you should really practice, and that is separate what I call writing to think and writing to deliver. So writing to think is kind of like journaling. If you just can't help but go to the screen, just go ahead and start asking yourself questions and answering questions on the screen. And free associate, do whatever you want, but please put that away when it comes time to write for publishing. Put it away and then write to deliver because then you will have done your thinking first. So, you know, my motto is don't write till you're ready. And that means don't write till your thinking's done. That would be the biggest lesson for sure. Speaking of, as you said, don't write until the thinking's done. You've done a lot of research in regards to researching for this book, writing for impact. So can you go through all the research you've done to get to this point to publish this book? Sure. You know, I had a degree in biology when I started out. I never used it. And as I was coming to the point of wanting to write more about how to write better, just because I wanted to pass that on to my clients that I coach, I had these ideas of that weren't that dissimilar to what any great writing teacher would talk about, but I wanted to convey them. And I started poking around and I realized there was a mountain of science out there by psychologists and neuroscientists that looked at what happens in the brain when it processes language. Okay, the neuroscientists and psychologists have, I would say, largely no interest in learning to write better, although that is to say through their neuroscience work. But what happens when they've amassed all this research is I could infer as a writer as to what works and what doesn't work. So, for example, the scientists ask people to read simple sentences versus complex sentences. Then they ask them questions afterwards. Did they enjoy it? 
They ask questions as how quickly they comprehended it. Are they inclined to agree? So those are sort of behavioral experiments. They also then scan people's brains. They either use electroencephalographs where they put all those electrodes as if in a shower cap on your head and see what the electrical activity is in the brain on the outer shell of the brain called the cortex, or they scan the brain with an MRI machine and see what's active in there. And so their question is, how is the brain processing language? And that's purely basic science. We want to know how the brain works. Well, you take someone who's been writing their whole life and they're saying, well, that's a treasure trove of information to perhaps um, from which I can infer better ways to write. And there's hundreds of articles, been hundreds of experiments over the last couple of decades, extremely active right now. And, and that's exactly what I did. So, you know, now I have five to 600 articles in my, these are scientific papers in my database that where people are examining the brain as it's the brain on language, so to speak. And I should make the distinction. We're not talking about decoding the letters. That's a whole nother area of science. What I looked at was just how does the brain process meaning? After you see what the letters are, after you know what the word is, that's all happening in the visual part of your brain in the back of the head. You want to know what the meaning of it is. And that's what's really fascinating. So we can actually see what happens when you use a metaphor versus literal language. We can actually see that in the brain. We can see that the amygdala lights up because there's some emotion involved. We can see that the motor and sensory circuits light up because there's probably some action and some sensations involved and so forth. So you've touched upon the scientific breakdown of how to be an effective writer. So that's one of the challenges someone trying to get into the copywriting industry needs to really master to help create and deliver words that persuade the audience to take an action. Because that's what copywriting is about, right? Whether it's writing on a sales funnel to try to get them to buy or book a call or for you to write a book that generates revenue and book sales. So for someone trying to break out into writing more in the copywriting space, well, there's some common challenges that these writers are going to be facing today in order to elevate their career. Well, you know, in the context of ChatGPT being out there, I think the message, I don't want to sound too simplistic here, but the message is that if you want to deliver great copy, if you want to be a great copywriter, you have to double down on being creative and using the human touch, using your human sensibilities, because ChatGPT doesn't do that very well. Of course, that's always been important, right? But now ChatGPT seems to minimize the value of that. Well, that's not true at all. I think the focus has to be when I sit down, how am I going to, in a sense, beat ChatGPT? Because what ChatGPT does is it's a statistical machine. It's looking at what's the next likely word after the one that I just put down. It's probabilities. You don't write great copy if you're looking at old probabilities, which is what ChatGPT is. It's all the probabilities of how the language is put together from writing that's already out there. What you want to do as a copywriter is you want to look at the new possibilities, not the old probabilities, but the new possibilities. Again, that's the creativity. That's the human touch. That actually is really what I stress in my book, the human aspect, what turns on the human brain. So I think ChatGPT is going to be a tremendous tool. And how is it going to be a tool. I mean, the most obvious way it's going to be a tool is just to get kind of that first draft out there. And when I say that, I mean, probably less than the first draft. I mean, when I sit down to write something, I think this is probably true of many of us. When I sit down to write something and I have a message to convey, what's the first thing that comes out of my brain? It's a bunch of tired, hackneyed, cliche language, but it might say what I want to say more or less. 
Well, what does ChatGPT do? It produces that for you. You don't have to do that yourself. You just ask ChatGPT to do it. And then from there, you do what you've always had to do, what's always been most important for a copywriter or any kind of writer for that matter, and that is apply the human touch. And, you know, and I get into that deeply in my book and what that really means neurologically. And we can get into that as we go along. Absolutely. So, one of the objections, so to speak, is it comes like the price ladder, right? The value ladder. You're trying to pitch a copywriting piece. They say, okay, well, I can just get my admin assistant to craft something quickly on ChatGPT to save me time and money. So what yeah. makes you different? So how would someone compete in terms of the sales process that way? That's interesting. How do you compete? I mean, I think you stressed just what I said. It's the human touch, the human sensibilities. It's the experience in knowing good from bad copy. I mean, what is stuff that's original versus not original? Because after all, chat GPT has machine learned on millions, so I understand, millions of pages of text. So some of those millions of pages are going to contain stuff that seems kind of original to people who've seen it for the first time. So you do have to have some experience in knowing what's original and what isn't original. I would say you have to show your goods when it comes to that. Show your goods. People recognize stuff that's original. If you use ChatGPT now, and before our conversation here, I've been poking around with it. If you use ChatGPT now, you get some pretty tired prose. I mean, it's stringing together words and ways. Now, its grammar is great and its punctuation is terrific. I will say the sentences are kind of long, but I, one thing I wanted to test is ask it to write the same thing with just using shorter sentences. I bet it probably does a pretty good job. I haven't asked it to do that, but that's important. So, you know, it's not hard to beat it. Now, will that eliminate entry-level copywriting tasks? Absolutely. You know, if a client, say, wants to write 10 more or wants to put up 10 more web pages so that the search engine results are better as based on the way the Google algorithm works, you know, maybe ChatGPT is the best solution. You just ask it to crank out a page on our services, on our successes, on uh, some use cases, et cetera, and it cranks it out and you put up those pages and nobody's going to look at them anyway, but it gets you higher in the ranking results. For people who are doing that kind of thing, it's just going to eliminate some of their work and it may eliminate their job. But again, you know, I think that what sets copywriters apart is that human element, that sense of what is creative, what is intuitive, what is going to strike human sensibilities in a way that nothing out there does, and obviously appeals to the target market. And the target market is a set of people who are of a kind that only a human, not chat GPT, can have a feel for. You talked about earlier in our conversation that you got to be for example, like writing 50 years ago is a lot different now and things have changed. You always have to get yourself better. So from your years of right. experience, how has writing, copywriting changed over the years and what is the state of it in the current format? Yeah, well, obviously, I mean, one thing that's different is it's much more crisp and short. I mean, the attention span, everybody says it's much shorter. I don't know if it really is, if you have something quality to absorb, but Certainly, we have to play to that. And shorter is better. Shorter is more appealing. So the first chapter of my book is about the human like for simplicity. I mean, you might think, well, everybody likes it simple because just kind of everybody likes it simple. Well, no, it's not. It doesn't work that way exactly. In the brain, there's a part of the brain that's always evaluating every stimulus that it encounters some of which it dismisses immediately and you're not even aware of it, but it's evaluating those stimuli. It's saying, is this worthy? Do I want this? Will I like this? Can I learn from this? 
the brain is always asking that question. And if, in fact, it decides to pursue something and it gets pleasure out of it, there's a neurological reward that comes with that. It's a reward in the form of dopamine. And if people are really pleased what they're reading, in this case, the stimulus could be food, water, sex, friends, shelter, you name it. But if it's in words and people really like it, there's actually an opioid-like, a natural opioid-like release in the brain that gives people pleasure. That then means they want to keep reading. They want to seek out what you've just been writing about. Now, simplicity, so circling back, simplicity has been proven in experiments. This is simplicity in words simplicity in pictures, simplicity in ideas, it actually triggers this reward circuit. And the reward circuit is then triggering the release of dopamine and natural opioids. So simplicity is not just easier to get attention with and easier to understand. It's actually rewarding in the brain. It's engaging. It's neurologically engaging. So I would say, you know, if there's anything that's happened in the last 20 years, it's that. I mean, along with improvements in all kinds of other aspects of writing, whether it's in writing story or including emotion, or it's the novelty of the writing, or it's the insight of the writing. Simplicity is where you can start and still serves readers in engaging them. I mean, why is copywriting, especially often use sentence fragments and short words and even one word sentences? Well, it's been proven out now by science because that in a neurological sense rewards readers. So ChatGPT is one challenge in terms of breaking into the writing industry. Another is different forms of medium. What I'm trying to get at is video is fairly big now. TikTok, mm -hmm. Instagram Reels, Shorts, all the square videos that you see on these social media platforms. So now you're not only competing with ChatGPT, you're also competing with other forms of media that mm -hmm. people prefer. So yes, there are captions you can add to spice up the content a bit, but overall they're mainly focused on the videos or even the imagery, image posts or carousel posts as the marketing world terms it. So what's your thoughts on that challenge? I'm a text guy, but let me just cite one experiment that I think is sort of interesting in this respect. There was a study done in which people were shown videos that portrayed a story and a separate set of people were given the written story. And it turned out that when people were asked afterwards, you know, this was a scientific experiment where they had control groups and they had, the people didn't know why they were in this experiment to begin with and so forth. So just that as background. So the people that listened to the videos afterwards said they were more engaged than the people who read the text, which is kind of what you think, isn't it? But it turned out, and these were stories, and they were, you know, the relatively trite stories. I think they were, you know, a minute or two long. But it turned out when they actually measured people's physiological response, their heart rate, what's called the galvanic skin response, which is a level of perspiration, which is a measure of emotional arousal, they found that the people who read the text were more aroused than the people who watched the videos. Isn't that interesting? So there's a piece of research that calls into question whether video is really more engaging. It could be the text written well is still more engaging than video physiologically, even though people aren't aware of it. There's sort of a subliminal thing going on here. The reward circuit could be activating even though the people don't realize it. And the reward circuit is none other than the brain's motivation engine. And it's what motivates you to act. So as a copywriter, that's obviously what you want to appeal to, what motivates that person to act. So I'd say the jury's out there, even though intuitively it seems like 
audio and video are going to be the way to go. The other thing I would say about that is that research has shown that whether you listen to something or you read something, the same parts of the brain process the meaning. Okay. If you listen to something, it goes into your ear, the parts of the, your audio circuits are processing the language, and but then it gets passed on to the part of the brain that processes the language. And if you read something, it's processed in the back of your head and then it's passed on to the part of the brain that processes the language. So either one gets the meaning gets processed in the same place. I don't know of research of this kind, but I would assume the same thing is true in video. When you have, say, a story in a video, leaving aside other forms of conveying the information, when you have a story in the video, the meaning of that story, how it really hits home with people is, I believe, is processed in exactly the same part of the brain. So you're almost competing one-to-one when you get to that point of the deeper meaning of the story. So we've talked about in regards to simplifying the message and telling a good story in writing. What are other aspects or components in writing that writers need to do in order to turn on a reader's motivational engine, so to speak, so they become more engaged with the written content that they're delivering? So in my research, basically, I isolated eight time-tested strategies that I felt in my experience and were the things that turn on readers that are age-old techniques. And then I looked to see what's the science say about these things. And it turned out the eight I chose didn't quite pan out. Six of them did. And then I realized there were two that I had missed. But in any case, I came up with eight in the end. These are all strategies used by great authors. And they're all cravings of the human mind. So the first one is simplicity. The human mind craves for simplicity. I mean, what could be, you know, in some ways said after looking at the science, what could be more obvious? But it's good to know that, in fact, if you simplify things, it's not just to make things easier. It's actually to make things more rewarding in the brain, neurologically rewarding. A second one is using specifics. Sound familiar? A copywriting mainstay. Use some specific detail to hook into the reader's mind. And why are specifics important? Well, specifics are a process in the brain in a way that many people may not realize. There's a language circuit in the brain. It's along the left temple. It's like a racing stripe that's processing language, the meaning of language at sort of the definitional level. But the rest of the brain often gets in the action. And when you have details, a lot of the extra other parts of the brain get in the action. The motor circuits, which is like a hair band across the top of your head, get involved. The sensory circuits, a hair band behind that. The emotional components, like in the amygdala, those parts of the brain are all activated. It's not just the brain processing language like symbols on a computer. It's actually reenacting reenacting the sensations and the actions that are embedded in those words, that then is highly rewarding for the reward circuit. So having some details that have motion in them, that have sensations, smell, touch, sound, etc., is important in hooking readers. Age-old way of writing better, but now we know that the science shows it's very powerful in hooking readers. A third one is simply novelty, okay? Why do you have surprise? I mean, It's because we're hardwired evolutionarily to like surprise. Why are we wired to like surprise? Because, well, surprise was always pointing out a learning opportunity. You could learn from surprise, so you enjoyed it. So you want something novel. So back to ChatGPT, there's the major weakness. How can something trained on all the language that's already out there produce something surprising? 
Well, it's kind of hard to produce something surprising if you're just running through what's already out there. It's the human touch that can produce that. A fourth thing is emotion, just emotion. I mean, try some chat GPT. I actually asked chat GPT to write an ad for hair coloring that used emotional language to persuade the audience. And what did ChatGPT do? I asked it a couple of different ways. It didn't seem to be able to do it. Now, this gets at the skill we'll all have to have in the future, which is writing our ChatGPT prompts well. But what it did is it kept telling me how emotional the woman would be who colored her hair. That wasn't what I wanted. I wanted the language, the actual copy to exude emotion using either loaded words or metaphors or something. It just didn't do it. So, you know, that's a good example of where a person is going to stand out compared to the computer. And I have four others. Let me run through them quickly. One is make sure that your copy is seductive. All of mine begin with an S. That's the way to help you remember them, the eight S's. Seductive means use anticipation. And a clear form of that is suspense, okay? Anticipation has been shown to not just going on a vacation, for example, but planning a vacation is highly rewarding. Not just eating chocolate cake tomorrow is important, but looking forward to eating chocolate cake tomorrow is important. Not just important, but rewarding. The next one is make sure it's insightful. You know, crack a new insight here. People love stuff that's smart. I mean, and ChatGPT isn't going to give you smart stuff. If you're going to crack a new insight, you got to do it yourself. You've got to come up with that. The next one is keeping it social, which is always appealing to humanity. Again, ChatGPT is just repeating what it's already heard. Uh, mankind, society, the way we are, the way we live, what turns us on changes day to day. That the copywriter can build on directly. And the final one is keep it story driven. Story driven means, yeah, use an anecdote, use a small mini case, whatever, depending on the kind of copy you're writing, because story really turn people on in a way that scientists don't completely understand, but they really hook into the brain. So these eight strategies you've highlighted in your new book, Writing for Impact, right? So what proof have scientists used that these strategies work? Right. Yeah. All these strategies. Again, the scientists haven't been trying to prove these strategies work. This is me, the author, going in and saying, hey, What happens in the brain? What have scientists shown happens in the brain when you use these eight strategies? And in every one of these cases, the the brain scans show that the components of the reward circuit are lighting up, that dopamine is flowing, and that the readers are evaluating that for value, and they're getting some kind of reward. We can't measure that exactly right now. Right now, all we can see is that it shows up in images. So... We've touched upon ChatGPT a fair bit in our discussion, and ChatGPT is only scratching the surface, right? It's only been out for a few months. So given the rise of AI and how it's going to look in the future, some people right now, as you said, they're trying to use ChatGPT as an easy way out to write content. But as you said, there's no human emotion, and it doesn't really... Again, it goes back to what you said about novelty. Eventually, you get to a point where people will know if it's a chat GPT written type of post or there yeah, is absolutely. a human component with it. So what do you think the future is in terms of AI uh, with writing? Yeah, you know, I'm not a technologist, but what I understand is that the core algorithm that drives chat GPT is the statistical probability of one word following another. That isn't going to change next year. It's going to get better, but it's not going to change next year. It still is not able to incorporate creating something that's not there. You can go in and ask ChatGPT to use improbable wording, which I did. Improbable wording 
to write copy. I asked it to do some improbable wording to write an ad for hair coloring, okay? And what happens is if it gets outside the statistical probabilities, it starts generating nonsense, essentially, these completely zany ideas that might come out of a two-year-old because it's just combining statistically improbable things. And the human mind doesn't do that. The human mind may combine statistically improbable things, but only things that make sense to humans. So I don't know how quickly that is going to change. Obviously, the algorithm is going to get better. And can they add sort of like saddlebags, you know, some things that promote social connection, that promote story, et cetera, onto that algorithm? It's a good question. You know, I will say ChatGPT is impressive. There was a study done that came out this spring that I was just looking at that the scientists looked at six stories, three were written by humans and three were written by ChatGPT after being given the same subject and plot line and so forth. I mean, talking short stories here, like, you know, 100, 150 words. And then they asked people how much those stories, they used measures that are common in the story research, how much those stories transported them. So there's actually a sliding scale, a one to seven scale on that. And how much those stories promoted counter argument. In other words, how much did you object to them and say, well, I, you know, I don't really go along with it. And then how much of those stories incline people toward behaviors and beliefs that were aligned with those stories? Well, it turned out, now this is just a spring already using just ChatGPT4. It turned out that the AI generated stories didn't do quite as well. But for me, the take home was they did pretty well. So ChatGPT can write pretty good basic stories. So again, it's not like it's not going to be able to write those stories, but it could give you that first draft. And from there, you, again, you have to use the human touch. And when I say a first draft, I mean, maybe something you just throw away, just get you past writer's block, because often the structures and the character setup and et cetera will be so pedestrian that you won't even want to build on it. Yeah, going back to what you said about um, ChatGPT, eventually becomes like nonsense. Like the first draft tends to do a good job, but then when you try to get them to revise it via prompts, it eventually becomes unreadable because it's just nonsense, as you said, at a certain point. Right. So it goes back to what right. you said about the probabilities of what's the next word that's going to come. Right, right, right. I mean, I suggest everybody listening, just go in and give it a try. Ask ChatGPT to to write an ad for, you know, some product that, that's one of your favorites, then ask it to write it with less probable language. And you can just see how it migrates. And you can ask it to write it using a story. It'll do all of those things. I think if you do 10 or 12 of those, this is my experience so far, you know, this is probably going to evolve, but it's pretty tired stuff. Again, this means that if you're an entry-level copywriter, if you're trying to just get started you have to start using ChatGPT like people who first were on the scene when word processors came in. It made writing a lot quicker or when grammar checkers came in or when autofill came in or et cetera. Or, you know, a lot of copywriters and proofreaders have a lot less work to do now because of those tools. And I think the same will be true of copywriters. They'll have less of the extremely basic work to do. But if your work is to set your piece apart from the competition's message and call to action, then you're going to have to have the human touch. You know, again, I'm not a technologist. How far away are we from being able to say that it's going to completely revolutionize things so we don't need copywriters at all? I think we're still a long way from that. 
So with that being said, what's the biggest takeaway, whether it's a new entry-level copywriter or more experience, that you found from all your psychology and neuroscience research? Yeah, you know, this may be less true in copywriting than in book writing or in long-form article writing, but what became obvious to me in writing this book was that the stress today on telling a story is well-deserved as a technique to engage readers. Absolutely. But asking someone to come in and use story technique as, as the solution to engaging readers is like asking them to come in and conduct a symphony. A story has lots going on. It's got novelty. It's got emotion. It probably has simplicity. It's got social connection. It's got insight. It's got all these things that I've just been talking about that are rewarding. We know are neurologically rewarding. But you can always separate that and say, there's seven other instruments, at least in my book, there's seven other instruments you can use to neurologically engage your readers, all of which benefit from the human touch, whether that's simplicity or it's novelty or it's specifics or it's insight or social connection. All of those can be used separately. You can look at a sentence and go, that's too complicated. And a lot of chat GPT sentences are too complicated. I can tell you that. So you can go in and immediately apply those to any sense. And in the best cases, maybe you do come up with a story, but a story is not the only way to hook people. There's lots of other ways to hook people. And when I say hook people, I mean prompt the release of dopamine and natural opioids in the brain because they're so pleased with, my God, they made that simple. Or the specifics completely light up a like a cinema-like experience in my brain, you know, because there's motor action and there's smell and there's touch. And so apply those separate strategies as well. Not just always be looking for the prize in telling a story. Really appreciate you taking the time, Bill, to come on my podcast to discuss writing, how to be a more impactful writer, and how can AI tools such as JatTBT assist you, not eliminate your job, so to speak. So I want to end off our discussion with one question I always ask my guests at the end of our conversation. Sure. So as you know, my podcast is about helping professionals get to the next level of their career while overcoming common challenges. So for you, what has been one big challenge in terms of your writing career that you had to overcome to get to where you are today? Uh, that's an interesting one. I don't know how well this applies to copywriters, but I would say my career was going just fine for many years, decades really. But I was a freelancer. I wrote for magazines and a freelancer, the model is simply pitching something and then getting paid as if it's piecework and you don't get paid more if it's better. And I would say that the important thing, if you're in that position, and this is sort of a business, a piece of business advice, not writing advice, is to move. So you're, you're a partner and maybe an employee, but you're a partner with the people you work with so that they aren't paying you that way. They're paying you for your time, which is the way I work now, paid by the hour and have for many years. And that, for me, completely revolutionized my career. I went from feeling burned out as a writer to being rejuvenated because what happens when that occurs is you feel more valued. You feel more of a partner when you're demanding you be treated that way by being paid that way. And you know, frankly, you produce better work and you're in it for the long haul. I hope that's not too far outside the scope of what you were thinking about. No, that's a great insight, Bill. And how can people learn more about your book and how to buy it? 
Sure. Well, you can go to my website, billbirchard.com, and a, essentially a Cliff Note style version of the book is there. Take a peek at it. It tells you a bit about the science, gives you some of the tips, gives you basically the organization of the book. But of course, you can also go to Amazon, Writing for Impact, Bill Burchard, and there it is, or buy it from your favorite bookseller. Amazon may not necessarily be the best one. Buy it from your local bookseller. Thanks, Bill. Enjoy the rest of your week. Okay. Thank you, Max. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening and until next time. Thank you.